0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So, um, But we are in this series in the book of Mark, and so we're actually concluding that series today. And so if you haven't been with us, I'll recap in just a moment. But um, today we're, we're concluding it with this final question that Mark has actually been building towards and working towards throughout the entire time we've been in it. And, and it's this question that I want to pose to you today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, if you grew up going to church and, and Sunday school, there's the Sunday school answer Like, it's like, it's always Jesus, or it's always here's the right answer. Actually, that's the answer that I want you to give, right? Like, Jesus is, he's he's Savior, he's Lord, like, that's the right answer. So just know, like, I'm not trying to trick you with this question, but if you've gotten to know me, you know that there's more to my questions than meets the eye. So what we're doing today is we're going to open this question up, but I want to challenge us with what I think Mark is going to challenge us with today, and it's this. What if you have more to learn about that answer? Who is Jesus? Who would you say that he is? And let me ask you the follow-up. What if there's more for you to learn about that answer? You see, that's what Mark is doing in our text today. So we've been in this series, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, and we've been looking through the lens of discipleship, And discipleship is is this idea that we're drawing from, actually, Dallas Willard, he he captures it this way, and and it's this. Discipleship is the intentional process. It's intentional. We're choosing it. We're we're pursuing something. It's the intentional process of becoming like Jesus. And we do that by being with him to learn from him how to live like him if he were me. If Jesus were in my shoes, what would he look like? That's what I want to be like. That's the definition that Willard gives, and we've been using it throughout the series to understand, like, what does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus, to pursue following him? And Mark has been helping us understand that. So at the beginning of the series, we, we looked at week one, Jesus came announcing the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. It's accessible. Repent, turn, and believe. Trust me. And what he does next is he demonstrates it through healings and casting out demons. Here's what that kingdom is like. It's this. And he goes around teaching. And he gathers followers. And he's ultimately teaching that he is the one who's bringing the kingdom. And it's a bigger kingdom than we imagine. It's a kingdom that, that forgives sins. That restores brokenness. And it comes through faith. But this is challenging. Challenging the religious leaders. They, they don't like how this goes. They, and so there's controversy. And, and Jesus is coming and saying, no, no, no. I get to decide. I get to say this is how it goes. And that causes controversy and challenge with the religious leaders. And so what Jesus points to, to his disciples, to his followers, to say, like, people are going to respond differently to me. How will you respond? Are you going to be like them? Are you going to reject? Are you going to be receptive to me? Are you going to go where I want to take you? because he begins to show them more and more who he is. He is Lord, and he is Savior. And it's that last piece that we're going to look at today. What does it mean that Jesus is Savior? And what if there's more going on than we even realize? And so today, when when we turn to our text, we're going to come back to this question, who do you say that Jesus is? And what if there's more for us to learn about that answer? So that's what we're going to do today. So I invite you, if you would, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 8. The book of Mark, chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 22 through 9-1. Now, if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, um, the the New Testament's the back third of your Bible. This is the second book. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark is where we're going to be. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. Now, uh, what I want to do is I want to tackle this text just a little bit differently. I want to jump in the middle and kind of look at the heart of it, and then we're going to do a flashback, go back to the scene before it, and then we're going to fast forward and go all the way through the end of the text. So we're going to take it in a few chunks. And so we're going to start by looking at verse 27. So if you would follow along with me beginning at verse 27. Jesus and the disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So pause there. So here we get this question, this question, who do you say that Jesus is? This is something that Mark has been building towards. He's been working towards. And so we arrive in chapter 8. This is a turning point in the whole gospel. This is a significant moment where Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And so Mark's been working towards this. He's wanted this moment to arrive for us as the readers. And he wants us to wrestle with this question ourselves. Who do we say that Jesus is? We're, we're to wrestle with this question. Now, uh, look back at the conversation. Like, what's taking place here? See, Jesus, he starts with other people. It's like, who, who, do, who do other people say that I am? You know, some people, they say, you're John the Baptist. You know, he's come back, and, and, and John, you're John the Baptist. Or some people say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. Like, okay, that's what other people say. Now, notice about that answer. These Are significant figures in the life of Israel. Elijah, John the Baptist, these these people were making a difference. They were teaching. They were proclaiming God's way. But they're just men. They're teachers. They're they're showing people, like, here's what God's all about. But they're just men. Like, that's what people are saying. Now, if you remember, when we studied chapter 4, looking at the parable of sower, Jesus is saying, there's going to be a variety of responses to me. People are going to have different opinions, different thoughts. They're going to react differently to me. And right here, we see that captured. People, how they think about me, it's going to be varied. But Jesus doesn't want it to go there. He's not content with what the polls say. He says, what do you think? He looks at his disciples, and he says, like, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? What do you think? He is now turning from from what other people think to what do you think? He's pushing his disciples to reflect on the question themselves. Who do you say that I am? What's your answer? He's asking them to evaluate and reflect themselves. And Peter, good old Peter, choose me, pick me, pick me. He answers first, right? You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard that word before, or maybe even if you haven't, you, you might be somewhat familiar with it. But I just want to kind of refresh what, what does this mean? Like, here's the answer, you're the Messiah. But what what are we talking about here? So the idea of the Messiah came from the Old Testament, where originally, when David was on the throne, God made this proclamation, like, I'm gonna bring someone from your line, one of your descendants, they're gonna sit on the throne and they're gonna sit on it forever. And they're going to establish an everlasting kingdom. And so the prophets, after that time, would take that idea, they'd flesh it out, they'd begin to massage it and think through it and and expand this idea of what the Messiah would be. You see, the word Messiah, the Hebrew, literally means anointed one, one who is anointed. And in the Old Testament, we saw that the priests, they would be anointed. You know, when they would serve as priests and they begin their tenure that way, they'd be anointed for that, that job, that position. We also see some of the prophets being anointed. But we also see kings. Anytime a king would ascend to the throne, they would be anointed as king. So here we see the anointed one, this, this set-apart kind of thing. They are, they are being raised up. And this is being particularly focused to a, an individual who come from David's line, would bring about redemption of the kingdom, bring about restoration. So by the time the exile happens, and by the time we get between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a few hundred years there, the Israelites, they were wrestling with this. What does this mean? Who is the Messiah? What is this person going to do? What are they going to look like? This anointed one who would sit on David's throne forever. They began to see a king who would come. A king who would free them from oppression, free them from slavery, free them from the power of, of other nations coming in, particularly Rome. So by the time we get to Jesus, and this time, see, Rome, they, they had occupied the land. They were the overseers. They were oppressing Israel. And now the people, they were looking for freedom. The Messiah would be the one to bring it. So when they hear the word Messiah, they're thinking one who would save them would rescue them and be a political leader, be a military leader, one who would start a war to overthrow their oppressors and establish their physical kingdom forever. That is what they're looking for. And so we'll get to that in a minute. You you kind of sense where this is going, like, that's not how this works, right? So that's Peter's answer. It's like, when he says Messiah, this is all the stuff that comes with it. But I want to pause on that because I think the essential idea is this that the Messiah is a kingly savior. It's a king who's going to come and rescue people. And that is true. That is what the Messiah comes to do. Jesus is going to amend that, he's going to correct that, but like camp on that for just a minute. When when we ask ourselves the question like who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he savior? Is he the rescuing one? Does he come in and does he save you? Or, or would you respond to the question, who is Jesus? Is he teacher? Is he a moral exemplar? Is, is he someone that we can look to as our guide? Is he merely a man? Or is he something more? For those of you, here are kind of wrestling with this question. You're trying to figure out what you think about this question, who do you say that Jesus is? Mark wants to say, he's savior. He's your savior. He's your rescuer. That is what Mark is putting on the table. And he's inviting each and every one of us to wrestle with that. Is that our answer? Is that the kind of response that we're going to give? Are we still trying to figure that out? Mark is inviting us He's inviting us into that wrestling. He wants us to land on this is the answer. Is that your answer? Is that what you would say? Are you still not sure? And that's okay. Just hear me say that. Like if you're not, I'm not sure. What What we're called to is honesty right now. It's that honest reflection. What would we say our answer is? But for many of us, we've grown up in church or we've been following Jesus for a long time. Like, we're there. Like, yep, that's my answer. I'm totally there. Jesus is Savior. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Yes. What we're going to see next is that Mark wants to push on that just a little bit. It's like, okay, that's your answer. Do you understand what that means? So what I want to do is I want to flash back. I want to go to the scene that happens right before this conversation. And we're going to look and see Mark doing something to us as the reader. So I invite you, if you would, jump up to verse 22. Look at verse 22. We're going to see the scene that takes place before this conversation. So verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. This is the disciples. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And we had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. <laughs> Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So this is a fascinating story we get right before our conversation. Uh, Jesus is healing this blind man. They've been, they've been traveling, they're, they're heading in different places, they land in Bethsaida, and some people come begging Jesus, will you heal this guy? And so I think what we see here is, is this healing story like, Jesus has the power to heal. He brings sight to the blind. He's, he's bringing the kingdom in this way. It's leading to human flourishing. That, on one level, is exactly what this text is about. But I want to contend there's something more going on, and that's what I want to camp on today. I want to ask the question, why did Mark tell us this story right before that conversation? Have you wondered about that? Like, why does the author of a gospel or, or one of the other letters or, or one of the books, why do they do what they do? Just as a side note, like, a little bit of, like, how do we read the Bible? We always want to read it contextually. I think sometimes our tendency is just to read a story and say, like, okay, that's a great story, now moving on. That is not the way Mark wants us to read it. He wants us to read the whole of it, see how the parts fit together, because what he's doing here is Intentional. Mark is wanting us to see something about what's happening here. So, what happens? This blind man, he comes, and Jesus, they, they're begging him, like, heal this guy. So, what does he do? What does the text say? Jesus takes him by the hand and leads him out of the village. Now, we don't know exactly where they were and how far they walked, but I'm pretty sure it was more than like 10 steps. Like, he's probably walking for several minutes. So, put yourself in a blind man's shoes. He can't see. Jesus is leading him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know where they're going. But imagine that that feeling, like Jesus has his hand, and he's just walking him along. Doesn't know where he's going. Doesn't know what's going to happen next. But they, they they get away from town. They're by themselves with the disciples. It's just them. So what does he do? He spits on him kind of gross right like what's that all about like i'm not sure all the, the details but i think like put yourself in his shoes again like i don't know that jesus would have done this maybe but i don't think that he warned him i think he's just like okay stand there <laughs> you know like oh and just the surprise of that and then he puts his hands on him and then what does he say do you see anything He says, well, I I see something. I see people. I can tell they're people. They look like trees and, you know, kind of compare the two things. Like, okay, you can imagine that. Like, he's not seeing clearly is the implication. Now, you might be like, okay, what's going on with that? Like, did Jesus kind of mess up? Did it not work? Did he have to try again? Like, no, I think is the answer. I think what's happening here is that Jesus is intentionally doing this in two parts. He's like, okay, let me show you. What do you see? I see a little bit. I see part way. I see mercurly, like I can't see clearly. Let me do it again. And he puts his hands on his eyes, and what does it say? His eyes are opened, and he can see clearly. I think what we see is a picture and a contrast. You see, this is about the healing. Jesus is healing and bringing the kingdom in this way, but then he's also teaching through it. I think what Mark wants us to see is that this is an object lesson. This man is in contrast to the disciples. You see, the disciples, they've been walking with Jesus. They've been following him along. They've been going on this journey, just like what Jesus did with this blind man. Took him on a little journey. He led him by the hand. And then partway, he's like, let me give you a little taste. Let me give you a little vision. Let me help you see just a little bit. But it was in part And Jesus does it again. He's showing progressively. And I think that's what's happening here with the disciples. You swap out the word see for understand, and I think we can picture it. They're beginning to understand. They're beginning to understand who Jesus is, but only in part, only part way. They're on this journey of understanding. Jesus is opening their eyes to see who he is progressively and i think that's what this is doing here i think mark is reminding us of us this story of the blind man to put a contrast to the disciples they've been walking with him they've been seeing what he's doing but they don't fully see who he is they only understand in part this is an object lesson for us you see what jesus is doing is he takes us on a journey When we follow him, when we're his disciples, he's taking us along the way, showing us bits and pieces about who he is, helping us understand more and more about who he is. We don't fully arrive like, oh, Savior, I've got it all. Actually, no. We're still learning. We're still along the way. We're still uncovering more and more about who he is. For those of you who are married, um, maybe you've been married for a short time or a long time, but I'm curious to say, if you were to just kind of take an inventory of where you are right now with your spouse, you'd probably look back and say, like, hmm, I've learned more about them than I used to know, especially those who have been married for a long time. Like, I wonder if you're like, oh, man, there's just, we've gone through a lot of life. There's more here. Like, you look and see, like, oh, my knowledge about a person grew. The same is true here with Jesus. It's not that we check a few boxes like, okay, I know who Jesus is. We might get the framework, but it's just like a marriage. Over time, you learn more and more and more about this individual. This is what Jesus is wanting us to see. It's like we're learning about who he is. And so Mark wants us to leverage this story to see this healing of the blind man as a way to see like we are on a journey of understanding more and more about Jesus. So I want to pause and offer you this kind of question, this takeaway, and it's this. We don't want to assume we have Jesus figured out. Mark wants us to pause and realize, like, when we're reading about Jesus, when we're exploring with him, we don't assume we've got it all figured out. That's what the healing of the blind man points us to at one level. We don't want to assume we know who Jesus is, but rather, we want to humbly continue to learn about him. We're gonna humbly pursue and and hold loosely like, okay, this is is this who you are, Jesus, tell me more. Help me understand. This is what Mark wants us to adopt as our posture. Are we continually coming to him? Are we continually learning about who he is? Are we doing so in humility? Because this is a contrast. As we're going to finish our conversation with Peter and Jesus, we're going to see, like, there's some misunderstanding here. The goal or what Mark is elevating for us is to say that we don't have it all figured out, so we keep coming back to Jesus. We keep learning about who he is. We don't want to assume we've got it all figured out. So that's one takeaway that we're going to walk out with today. But what is it that Jesus wants us to see? If, if we've got this idea of Messiah, Savior, but how does he want us to understand that? That's where I want to go next. So jump back to our conversation, and we're going to pick up and kind of flash forward here at verse 31. So it's after Jesus and Peter have their initial conversation, like, you are the Messiah. Okay, don't tell anybody about this. What happens next? Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God has come with power. So right here, we get challenged from Jesus. What he's doing here is he's helping them understand that answer is the right one. Yes, Messiah, you're correct. But here's what it means. And so what does that talk about? What does that point us to? How do we understand, like, what is is Jesus wanting us to take away from all of this? So this is the opposite of what they've expected. You see, Jesus, he, he comes in and he, he says, like, um, hey, who, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're the Messiah. Yeah, that's right. I, I am the Messiah. But you don't understand what that means. You see, Peter, the disciples, they were walking in with this understanding that the Messiah would be a political leader. Someone who would come in, who would take over and overthrow Rome. They're coming in to to use power and strength, use the sword, use might, go to war and overcome. Jesus says, I'm coming in the way of weakness, of humility, of pouring out. I'm coming in the way of death and sacrifice. Now, this would have been an affront to Peter, which is why he's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. You're not not supposed to do it that way. Like, that's not what the Messiah does. And so what does Jesus do? He looks around at his disciples. Instead of just responding immediately, he looks to his disciples. I think he's concerned and aware of how things are coming across to them. Like, this is not just something like, Peter, you and I need to work this out. Like, you just have a little bit of tweak here. It's like, this is a common misunderstanding. And he wants them to see the Messiah, the way of the Messiah, is different than we expect. It's the way of weakness. It's the way of laying down one's life. And so we get a rebuke from Jesus to Peter. And it's an intense one. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I think, I mean, this this is like intense and heavy. You probably are like, whoa, why would Jesus say that? I think two things. One, it's that serious. Like what he's talking about here is that important. It is not the way of humanity. It's not the way of the kings of the nations. It's not the way of strength and power and overcoming. This way is different. And it matters. That's why this is something like I need to get across to you in strong language get behind me, Satan. But I also think there's something else going on here. Getting behind me, Satan, is is a challenge to the temptation that Peter was offering here, unknowingly, I think. If you go back and look at Jesus when he first shows up on on the scene and, and he announces his ministry, one of the things that he does is he goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. He's by himself. He's out there for 40 days. He's hungry. He's thirsty. Satan shows up and said, hey, You're the son of God, right? You should be able to do all of these things. Make bread. Take over the world. Like, throw yourself off from the temple mount. Like, do it like this way. That was the temptation. It was to do it in his own strength, his own way, because he he deserved it. Like, he could do it because it belonged to him. Like, he's the one who is ruler over the world. Like, it's his. Just take it. But Jesus knows that he can't just take it. He can't just do it any old way. He's got to do it the way that God, his Father, wants him to. And it's the way of sacrifice. So I think what's happening here is an echo to the temptation. And Jesus is like, no, I will not do it in my own strength. I will not do it my way. I want to do it the Father's way. Get behind me, Satan. I want to be about the things of God not about the things of humanity. And he's challenging Peter to get on board with that too. So notice after this, he takes his disciples, but he gathers anybody who's around, like the crowd. Hey, hey, everybody, come here, come here, come here. I need to tell you something. If you want to follow me, you've got to go the way of self-denial. You've got to go the way of surrender and sacrifice. If you want to be my disciple... You've got to follow my way, and my way is the suffering Messiah. That's who I am. That's what I'm going to do. That's the way that I am going to operate. I am the suffering Messiah. My path is one where I lay my life down, and that is what he's calling us to do too. See, the view that we have of Jesus will dictate the view that we have of our following him. If we decide like, okay, I'm going to follow this kind of Jesus, then then that's what's going to shape us. And what Jesus is wanting us to say is it's not about power, it's not about strength, it's not about prestige or, or status, not being elevated. But it's about coming down because that is who I am and that is what I have done. I'm going in the way of suffering. And if we want to follow him, we're going to have to pick up that way too. We're going to take his way of suffering and follow after him. That's why he says, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your own cross. Because that's what I'm going to do. You've got to follow my path. You've got to go with me. You've got to follow my way. And that is what Jesus is about to do. So the way of the suffering Messiah is the way of sacrifice and surrender. We've been using this image in this series. It's the image of a triangle. And so I want to bring this back up one more time. And we've been studying what does it look like for us to follow Jesus faithfully. We want to have all three of these components. But a lot of times, you know, when we're following Jesus, or or if this has been our experience, we'll focus on the top portion, right? We're going to know the right things. We're going to know his word. We're going to know what he teaches. And then we're going to go do it. We're going to go do his works. But what Jesus is wanting us to see is that we need his way as well. Because if we don't, Tend to his way. If we don't follow in his way, we're going to do it in our own way, and our own way is self-sufficiency. It's control. It's uh, I'm doing it on my own strength. Like I'm, I'm, I've got it. I've got it figured out. It's on me. And that's what often happens when we try to just know the right thing and then just do it. We're doing it on our own strength. He's calling us to the way of dependence. He's calling us to the way of love, the way of faith, the way of trust. And what we see today is that Mark wants us to point point us to the way of surrender. The way of Jesus is surrender. Jesus, he's about to go to the cross. He knows that. He knows where this path is going to lead. He is going to go lay his life down, he's going to surrender it. And he's going to suffer. And notice who who did he say he's going to suffer under? It's not the the sinners, the the lowlifes, the people who are kind of on the outside. No, it's the chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. These are the best of the best in Israel. They're the ones who are going to put me to death. We all have this need or we need to operate in a different way. And it's the way of surrender. So, If you've grown up in church, you might have heard this phrase, like the cost of discipleship. Like this is what it costs. We let go of our lives. We lay them down. We don't hold on to our way of doing things. We don't do it in our own strength. We release. That is his way. That is what he is calling us to. Are you operating that way? Is that your way? Are you surrendering to Jesus? Just to be straight and honest with you, this is a high cost. It's tough. It's up here. But can I challenge something? I think sometimes, especially if you've grown up in church, it's like, okay, cost of discipleship, super high. Like, mm, okay, here we go. Can I tell you, the cost is high. The benefit is so much greater. Notice what Jesus says. He says, if you want to save your life, if you want to do it in your own way, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, if you surrender, you do it in my way, what does he say? You will save it. You will find the thing that you are looking for. The very thing that you're pursuing, the very thing that you're desiring, like this life, this kind of upwards, like ultimate sort of thing, like I want that, I want everything to be as it's supposed to be. You want that kind of life? Surrender it and I'll give it to you. Jesus offers us a parable that's real short but captures the heart of this. So he describes a man. There's this man, he's journeying and he comes into a field and he discovers a treasure. He finds this treasure. He's like, wow, what is this? And it's like nobody knows about it. It's just buried in the ground. And so what does he do? He covers it back up. He reburies it and goes home and he sells everything. He gets rid of his property. He sells his house. He gives away all his possessions. Like He just sells everything. He liquidates it all. To do what? To buy that field. Because that treasure is worth more than anything else in the world. That's what Jesus is offering us here. This transaction is one of the greatest that we're ever going to make. The cost is high. Yes, it's hard. But it is the way that he wants us to be because it will give us the greatest benefit. And it's not that we're getting houses or cars or or fame or prestige. It's not about that. It's about what we truly need. Belonging. Fulfillment with him. Purpose. Meaning. True life. That's what he's offering. If we're trying to hold on to our stuff, hold on to our things, hold on to the way things are, we're going to end up losing our life because that is not our life. It's not in our stuff. It's not in in how things operate in this world. It's not about comfort. It's not about convenience. It's not about just how things are here. It's about the way things are supposed to be. And that, that is what Jesus wants to give us. He wants to give us true life. So, I don't know about you. This is the transaction that we're supposed to make. We're to pay this cost to get an infinitely greater benefit. So, before we think, like, oh, the cost of discipleship is so hard and we should just be ascetic and, like, you know, commit to the way of suffering and, like, beat our bodies down, like, it's not about that. It's not about just, like, making ourselves nothing because we're supposed to make ourselves nothing. No, it's for a purpose to be filled up with everything that Jesus wants to give us. This is the way of surrender. This is the way that Jesus wants us to operate. So, bottom line for today. Jesus is the Savior to whom we are to surrender. We're to surrender to him. We're to operate in this kind of way. This is what Jesus wants for us. There's challenge here. So if we come back to this question, who do you say that that Jesus is? How do we respond? Like, Do we understand the full picture of what he's offering here, of who he is? He's the Savior. He's the one who rescues us, who saves us from sin and brokenness and death to grant us life. And how we get there, how we operate with him, is by the way of surrender. So what does this look like? Or what are some takeaways for today? I have three suggestions for you. And so number one is this question that Mark is wanting us to wrestle with. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Maybe for you, you're still wrestling with that question. You're not sure what your answer really is yet. And that's okay. Mark is inviting you to wrestle. He's inviting you to to explore this question. He says the answer is Savior and Lord. But he wants you to understand what that means. And so today, if you're wrestling, keep wrestling. Keep asking your questions. Like maybe you're not a praying kind of person, but I I encourage you just like, all right, Jesus, if you're really there, here's here's my question. I don't understand this. Help me understand it. And begin to look through conversations through other people, or maybe bring that question to another person in this church and wrestle together. It's good to work through our questions, to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? But maybe if you're ready and you know, like, okay, I haven't said this before, yep, Jesus is Savior. Today, this can be a turning point for you, where you can begin to embrace this idea, Jesus as Savior Jesus is one who is opening the door to rescue. You can embrace that today. Come find me. Come find somebody else who maybe has a, a name tag and like say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about this. I'm ready to make a decision. I want to kind of shift my life. Like, that's on the table for you. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. We'd love to pray with you. But maybe you're the person who, you've already answered this. Yep, he's Savior. We want to humbly continue to learn what that means. We don't want to assume we've got it all figured out. We don't want to assume like, oh, I know exactly what Jesus is all about. Check that box. We want to take the heart posture of continually learning, humbly submitting to him, Lord, I know your Savior. Help me understand that in a better way. What does that mean? That's the prayer we should be praying regularly and allow him to speak, allow him to show us, allow him to teach us over and over again, what does that look like? Humbly continue to learn who he is. And then finally, number three, choose the way of surrender. If we're holding on, if we're grasping, if we're clinging tightly, we're in the wrong posture. Open your hands. Allow him to lead you in in the process of surrender. and, And come to him in prayer and say, all right, I'm holding on to this area of my life. Lord, help me release. Help me let go. Help me to take up your way. That is to be our posture. That is to be our practice. The prayer of surrender continually. So as we learn more about him, as we understand further what it means that he's Savior and Lord, would we continually surrender afresh to that? I want to share one more story or illustration real quick. And it's about my wife, Jessica. So uh, when we were um, in college, that's when we met. We we came together in in undergrad and and got to know each other there and started dating, got married after that time. Well, this was a formative time for her. She came from a background where she just didn't know much of the Bible and and didn't understand some of the things. She was a a believer, but didn't really grasp the depth of what Jesus was all about. And college was a time for her to really embrace that. Now, up to this point, she had uh, kind of a vision for her life, a dream of where she wanted to go, she had a creative background. She was involved in theater, and so she wanted to open a Christian theater company. That was where she wanted to go. But during college, God kind of shifted her vision. He shifted it to one where she was now going to take all of those gift things, all of those creative energies and, and those kinds of things, and serve the church. She was called to ministry. She's going to do those things that she sensed like she wanted to do and bring that to the church. And so now, fast forward, you know, 15 years later, She's on staff here and and, and helping our church get better at discipleship and and offering all of her giftings. It hasn't fully formed yet. There's still more that I think God is doing in her life. But we kind of played this out. Imagine if Jess were to go back to 18, 20-year-old Jess and say, you're actually not going to open a theater company. Imagine what that would have sounded like to her at that time. She's like, wait, 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 that's my dream. That's where I want to go. Now she looks at that and said, I wouldn't have it any other way. That is what Jesus is offering us. It's taking something that maybe seems good, but He's giving us something better. That is the way of surrender. So, bottom line for today Jesus is the Savior to whom we surrender. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Thank you, God, that you have given us this story, this text. And we get to learn alongside the disciples. We get to see with fresh eyes like they do. Lord, we don't have it all figured out. We don't understand fully what it means that you are Lord and Savior. Maybe we grasp certain elements of that, but Lord, as we go, we just learn how much more we have to learn. So, God, I pray that as we journey with you, as you take us along the road by the hand, that you would continue to open our eyes to help us see, see who you are, see how you operate, see your way. And would we surrender continually and afresh to you? God, lead us in this. Show us how we can do that this particular week. Show us how we can follow you faithfully. You are good. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.